uh, Judges 16. Once again, we're dealing with Samson, restoration of a fallen hero here. And uh, we've encountered a man in our studies of Samson who was far less than what he should have been. Um, He came into this world born of a promise of God. You remember that? That he would be a Nazarite set apart to worship God from birth, uh, set apart for the glory of God, and that he would deliver the nation of Israel. We saw that back in chapter 13. And um, there can be little doubt that the Lord used Samson in his life. But obviously, from what we've seen in his life, his service was clearly hampered by some of the sins that marred his life. And um, he was characterized by uh, being a man of, uh, had, a, had a weakness for his flesh. He had a weakness for um, uh, wicked women <laughs> and illicit relationships. And it continually seemed to hinder his usefulness for the Lord. And eventually, as we saw last week, it cost him his freedom, it cost him his ministry, it cost him this week his life. But um, we saw that he was deceived last week by Delilah, and um, he apparently cared for this woman because uh, uh, she was able to lure him in. And uh, his, he ended up revealing to her uh, his source of his, his strength. Now, you know, the source of his strength wasn't his hair, literally. It was his commitment to the Lord, and part of that commitment was not cutting his hair as a, as a Nazarite, uh, being committed to his vows. And his hair seems in Scripture to symbolize that vow. And so when he allowed Delilah to cut his hair, even though, you know, he just didn't, here, give me a trim, uh, you know, she was deceived, he was deceived, but uh, he really showed contempt for his vows. He shouldn't have been there in the first place, as we found out last week. He had no business uh, being with a woman like that. So as a a result of all that, as his bad behavior, the Lord removed his hand from Samson's life, and he allowed Samson, this incredibly strong man, to be not just captured by the Philistines, but he was tied up. They gouged out his eyes, which is a horrible thing to lose your sight. They took him to prison, and he was forced to grind uh, grain, (laughs) which was really the worst possible job you could have. It was, in their culture, it was relegated to the lowest of slaves, and usually they were females. They didn't think much of women back then, so they gave them the worst job possible. And um, thankfully, his story didn't stop last week. It didn't end there, uh, that he was being bound with his enemies and his eyes gouged out and everything. And so today we want to look at the restoration of a fallen hero. And... uh, you know, it reminds us, no matter how far we may fall in our Christian walk even, uh, if we are saved, um, we are still His. Amen? Doesn't, you know, we're not saved by what we do. Um, and so He has a plan to bring Samson back, and He had a plan to bring, He has a plan to bring us back as well as when we, when we fall short. And so that should be encouraging to us, that God doesn't just write us off as soon as we sin. If we fail, and sometimes we fail big like even Samson. I mean, this was a big fall. Um, I heard uh, one pastor say one time, I, I don't fall, I don't fail the Lord often, <laughs> but when I do, it's a beauty. <laughs> I thought, oh, wow, that's not, that's not a necessarily a good thing. And so we fail the Lord from time to time. We all do. And sometimes 
we fail in, in spectacular fashion. So we have to be careful. Um, I, I often think of Hebrews 11, you know, the, the hall of the faithful, you know, the, the chapter that deals with all the faithful people. But it could also be called the hall of the failures. Because as you look through that chapter 11, all of the members of that, you know, illustrious organization failed God. And they failed him big. Big time, not just small failures. You think of Abraham. He lacked the faith to believe God's promises to care for him and went down into Egypt where he lied about his wife. Uh, Sarah laughed at God and mocked his promises. Isaac lied about his wife. Moses committed murder and tried to cover it up. That's a pretty amazing uh, failure. Uh, Joshua was full of pride and failed to pray before he attacked Ai and the nation of Israel was defeated. Uh, Rahab, she was a, a prostitute. And so, you know, we have to remind ourselves constantly as Christians, the successful Christian is not the person who never fails. If you have that as your your goal, you're going to be sorely mistaken. But it's the person who, when they do fail, they get back up and they recognize God's forgiveness. They recognize God's remedy for their sin. And they reach up to God for claim the cleansing and the forgiveness that we are told we have in Christ. We don't allow the enemy to take advantage of that. So uh, that's what we're going to look at tonight. So let's read the text in Judges chapter 16. I'm just going to start with verse 21 there and read down through the end of the chapter. It says, And the Philistines seized him, being Samson, gouged out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But, verse 22, But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, which was their pagan god, uh, their god, and rejoice, and, and said, Our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their god, for they said, Our god has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of prison, and he entertained them. He entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there was about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. It must be a pretty big house. Verse 28, Then Samson called to the Lord and said, and this is his really his prayer of uh, repentance and commitment, our, our, our Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me only this once. O God, that I may avenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them. His right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it, including Samson. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Verse 31, then his brothers and his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zoar or Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. 
So, incredible ending. Um, you know, he avenged uh, the mockery that Israel was making of, of the Lord and claiming their victory was, their God was victorious over it. And he also avenged his losing his eyes. Um, but it was, it was, see here, it starts off in verse 22 with a time of restoration. It says his hair began to grow again after it had been shaved. You know, um, that's what happens. You know, I shave my head and then it starts to grow again. It doesn't grow that much, but I got to shave it again then. Um, and you see here the power in the restoration. After a time, his hair began to grow back. And if you remember, his hair was what? He was a symbol of his vows to God as a Nazarite. It was a symbol of that. Uh, Sam- Samson's power didn't come from his hair. He didn't have supernatural hair, but it came from his relationship um, with the Lord that was depicted in his not cutting his hair as a commitment as a, as a, in a Nazarite vow. And the, the regrowth, really, of his hair was symbolic of restoration of that special relationship between Samson and w- what he had enjoyed with the Lord before. Uh, and you see the picture of it. It was a picture of truth that God was not through with Samson yet. I mean, the idea that his hair was growing back and one time he would have his strength again indicates that, hey, God didn't just walk away and say, you know what, you just made me, that's it, I'm done. Uh, The grace of God allowed Samson to live long enough for his hair to grow back, and this lets us know that God has plans for Solomon, or for Samson. And that's that's very important that we, we realize that. Just because, you know, we may fail the Lord in some area of our lives doesn't mean God's plan just goes and you know blows up and he 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 cancels the whole thing he still has a plan god has a plan even in our failure sometimes and um and you see here that his his hair grew back and this is part of the problem in the restoration and some people don't like this part of restoration but um it's a slow process it should be a slow process um the average growth rate of the human hair is about an eighth inch per week, they say. That seems like a lot to me. I, I don't have any hair, but um, <laughs> that translates to about six inches per year. So to grow hair to the waist takes about six years, they say. I don't know. Some people's gr- hair grows faster than others, I think. But to say all that, I just mean to say that it was this restoration of Samson and his strength, it was a process for a very long time time Uh, his return did not come overnight and i think we have to make a few kind of notes here about this a few observations first of all that you know if you've sinned and you failed the lord in some area of your life especially in a very grievous or public way restoration is possible that's the good news but that restoration will be gradual it has to be you can't expect to be restored to service overnight and unfortunately, sometimes that's what they do. They'll have a pastor that fails or falls morally, and you know he goes away for counseling for three months, and then you know the fourth month he's back in the pulpit again. It's like, well, wait a minute, you know, I, I don't know if that's necessarily right. It doesn't mean God can never use that individual again, but I think that there are there are consequences in that failure, and some of that is it it disqualifies you. You have to be above reproach in some of um, some of the, the ways the Lord calls people to serve him. So, you know, it's going to be a process. It's going to be gradual. You can't, 
you can be forgiven of sin in an instant. All you do is repent, you turn to the Lord, you're forgiven, right? Um, but restoration takes a long time. That's another principle. It takes time to earn back that, that, that trust uh, of others that was squandered. Uh, and, and sin takes a tremendous toll on all the people within its orbit. And that's what's so important that we understand that is that sin doesn't just involve you. It involves everybody, everything around you. It takes time for the pain, for the distrust, for the effects of the sin to ease. And so we have to be aware of that. Also, huge failures in our lives are not the result of a sudden fall into sin. Sometimes people are, are blown away. So they hear about somebody, oh, wow, they, yeah, they had a moral failure. Where, 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 what happened? Where would that come from? I guarantee you it takes a long time for that period of disobedience to happen. There's something going on in that person's life. It doesn't, they don't just go out and sleep with a prostitute one night. You know, there's some, something going on in their mind. There's something they're entertaining themselves with things that are tempting them, whatever. And it's a process. And it wears them down over time. And um, there's usually a long period of disobedience before a major moral failure. And I think that's God's grace. That's God's grace giving the opportunity to repent, to turn, to make sure that we're, we're staying on the, the pure path. Uh, it takes time to replace uh, bad habits with good ones. Have you ever noticed that? If you start and you have some bad habits in your life, it, you can't just say, okay, I'm just going to stop doing that. No, it takes time. I think they say it, about 30 days to, to change your habit. It takes time to change the way your mind thinks. Um, and so it takes time to change the way we live our lives. And that's why it's so important to, to allow for that time. It takes time to earn back the trust of people who've been wounded by our failures, whatever it might be. And so all that is, you know, we can, we can have our sin remedied in a second, but the restoration process takes a little longer. And then also, while sin is, uh, might be forgiven, the sinner <coughs> is made right with God. We have to remember that forgiveness does not cancel out what the consequences of our sins. It doesn't. Um, you know, if I go rob a bank and then I go to the Lord and say, man, I repent, I'm sorry, you know, I'm still going to prison, right? <laughs> I mean, there's consequences to your behavior. God doesn't just say, okay, no consequences. Uh, you're forgiven. Uh, so Samson's hair grew back, but guess what? The consequences were he was still bound. He was still bound. He was still blind. And he was still in prison grinding grain. And so sin, the principle here is sin leaves a terrible mark on the lives of the guilty. And the scars of sin may be physical, it may be emotional, it may be mental, it may even be spiritual. But we have to be uh, honest with ourselves and realize that the scar sin leaves behind may never fully be healed. It may never fully be healed. While the relationship with God and others may be restored and everything, the reminders of, of that sin may haunt you for the rest of your life. And that's why the scripture says, yeah, avoid it at all costs. Avoid that road. Don't go down that road. There's regret. There's guilt. There's loss of, of peace. All that may just stalk you the rest of your life um, until you leave this world. So you know, we must always remember that sin brings consequences. And some of those consequences may even follow us to the grave. Uh, Galatians 6, 7, I'm thinking of that. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever 
one sows, that will he also reap. Or Proverbs 13.15, Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. All right? Eventually, that's where it's going to end up. So you may be asking, uh, you know, sometimes, what was I thinking when we look back on some of the decisions we made, some of the failures we've had, whatever? Why did I do that? Uh, you know, that's just part of the, the growth process. And also, the last thing here is while there was a restoration here in Samson's life, there was a limitation to his service. There was a limitation to his service. It's possible to commit sins that, as I just said, disqualify you from holding certain positions within the church or even within, you know, like a company. If you're brought up on, you know, certain stock fraud things or something like that, they may not want you as their chief financial officer anymore. I mean, certain things like that. They may just disqualify you, okay? Uh, It's not that we do not forgive or that the Lord does not forgive, but the issue is that people will not follow uh, a leader they, in whom they have no confidence. Uh, and that's really right. That's, that's a good thing. And so the passage challenges us to avoid sin in our own lives at all costs. And whatever steps are necessary to avoid committing sin, we have to utilize those. And God will help us. We, we looked at 1 uh, Corinthians 10, 13. You know, there's no temptation that is common. And, and God provides a way out. Um, you know, and, and it, that will help us protect our testimonies. It will help us protect our reputations and protect really the, the Lord and his, his glory and his honor. Um, but the passage also reminds us, I think, that there is restoration when we fall, when we fail. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise from God. Or Proverbs 28.13, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. All right? In other words, it's, it's our inclination to hide our sin. That's what we want to do. It's embarrassing. It's shameful. We get that. And sometimes we even think that before God, like, like he doesn't see it or something. But when you try to conceal your sin, you're, you're not going to prosper. It's not going to go well for you. It's better to just confess it, forsake it, and, and move on. That's the best possible scenario because there is forgiveness in the Lord. Jeremiah 33, 8 says, I will cleanse them from all, their, the, from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. Uh, now, that was obviously a promise for Israel, but we can in retrospect make it a promise to us we can say that you know what that does apply to us in christ so it was a time of restoration here for samuel or for uh, samson sorry um but then in verse 23 to 25 it was also a time of reproach a time of reproach you see here the philistines are gathering and they're having this great sacrifice to their pagan god dagon and um you know this was really a, a an affront to Samson's God. They weren't so much mocking Samson, they were mocking Samson's God. Uh, And I think that's one of the reasons why God allowed Samson to take them all out the way he did. Because God's man, and he was, was being degraded. Samson was brought into the temple of Dagon, which he had no business being there, but he was a prisoner, so he didn't have any choice. And Dagon was the God of the Philistines, and he was portrayed as a kind of a weird thing a half man half fish 
And from his navel down, he was depicted as a fish. And from his navel up, he was portrayed as a man. And they believed that if they worshipped this god, they were mostly fishermen, the Philistines. Um, when they worshipped their god Dagon, they believed that he would bless them with many fish when they went out fishing. And um, it tells us in verse 25 that they brought Samson to the temple. It says that, they may, that he may entertain us. So you have this guy who basically killed thousands of these individuals, and now he has no eyes. He's tied up. He can't, can't get out of these binds, and he's, he's grinding grain, totally humiliated. And, and this is just an affront to, to his God, to Samson's God. Let's, let's make him our entertainment. Um, you know, so they would bring this guy up, bound, and they would really, I mean, the idea has that he, they'd make him dance or do a little jig there, and they'd probably mock him and mock his God. And they brought him to mock him. And they were drunk, verse 25. Um, they're, they're looking just to have a good time. And what do they do? They, they force Samson to be some kind of a circus freak. And you know, remember, he has no eyes. He can't see what's going on. So they no longer uh, feared him as the mighty warrior that he was once. Uh, undefeatable judge of Israel. They no longer see him as a threat to their way of life. Um, they view Samson only as an object of mockery and derision. And you know what? That's what happens when, that's why a moral failure, especially with those in ministry, is such a, a grave thing because you see it all the time. I mean, you, you, the world sees that, and what do they do? They mock. It's, it's a mockery to our God, especially when they're back, when they come back from their, their moral failure and their... You know, whether they're, you know, word of faith people on TV doing all this stuff. And and, and then, you know, they they go away for a little bit. They're found out. They do an expose on them. And then they come back and they're back on TV and they're back to the the same antics they they had before. And that's just really a mockery to to the Lord. And so they bring him in so they can laugh at him. That's what they're doing. He's diminished in their eyes and they force him to do, you know, stupid tricks while they laugh at him. I mean, I, I believe that Samson felt a little humiliated at this point. I mean, here was this strongest guy there ever was, and he surely feels as though probably he was worthless at this point. And when he was engaged in his sins, guess what? He couldn't even see this happening. He couldn't even see the potential of this happening, that what, the danger that lurked by. He was so caught up in his sin. And so now, he, ironically, he sees it clearly. But guess what? It's too late. Sin has already humiliated the once proud judge of the Hebrews. Sin has turned the mighty, fearsome warrior into a circus clown. Uh, Sin has transformed him from the the stuff of legends really into a punchline for the enemies of God. And they were mocking him and they were mocking God. And that's what sin will do if we allow it in our own lives as well, if we allow it to reign in our hearts. And that's why the Bible says over and over again, run from it, stay away from it. Don't, it's not something to trifle with. Uh, Sin has the power to turn our lives into really the grist of these, of the the, the humor mills, you might say. It's the power to bring us so low that people point at us and whisper about the failures in our past. Uh, God help us, that would never happen to any of us. Sin has power to defeat us, to degrade us, to diminish us, to demoralize us. Um, You don't have to look very far. Psalm 106, verse 43 says this, Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious 
and in their purposes and were brought low through their through their iniquity it has that ability that's what sin does it brings us low and so we we see here that man was degraded but also god's glory was diminished god's glory not only was samson degraded as a servant of the lord but god's glory was diminished why because samson was defeated uh, the, the Philistines glorified their god Dagon, and he gave they gave him credit for the victory in verse twenty four. Um, Samson probably believed that he would, you know, have this fun, and then he would go right back to serving the Lord and helping people. No one would ever know; it'd be fine. It's not going to affect me that way. I'm strong enough to deal with this. He never imagined that he would be captured. He never imagined that he would be humiliated. He never believed that his sin would allow the enemies of Israel to mock his God. He just couldn't even conceive of that. But he learned the hard way, didn't he? He learned the hard way that not only does sin bring about terrible consequences in the life of a sinner, but he also learned that sin in the lives of God's people always reflects badly on the Lord. So you have to remember that the things we do, either one of two things, either they glorify God, or they dishonor him. Anything we do in life, either it's going to glorify God or it's going to dishonor him. And there's going to be times when we're glorifying God and there's going to be times when we bring him dishonor. That's just the way life is. You think when David sinned with Bathsheba and was confronted by Nathan the prophet in 2 Samuel 12, 14, Nathan said, Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. You've blasphemed the Lord is the idea. And nothing has changed. We must ever remember that if we're saved, we belong to the Lord. And we must never do anything in our lives that bring dishonor to his name or that allows the enemies of the truth, more importantly, even to, to mock him. First um, Timothy chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says this, Let all of us under, the yoke, under, under a yoke as bond servants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God... And it says the teaching may not be reviled or blasphemed. Uh, we don't want people to be able to point at our lives and say, oh yeah, they're a Christian. Look at that. And we become a mockery. And so God's truth and God's word becomes a mockery. Titus chapter 2, verses 3 and 5. It talks about older women mentoring the, the younger woman. It says, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands. Why does Paul want them to do all that? It tells us the last sentence there, that the word of God may not be reviled or blasphemed. You know, if you have a high view of Scripture and a high view of God, then you realize that whatever you do in your actions have a reflection of that. If you're calling yourself a Christian, if you're calling yourself one who follows Christ and you're living in the world and you're living a, a life that's uh, completely opposite what we're called to live, that's, that's going to blaspheme not only God, but his truth. Or in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14, it says, So I would have the younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander or for blasphemy. So that goes back to how we're living our lives or even in romans chapter 2 paul writes this in verse 22 24 you say that one must not commit adultery do you commit adultery you who abhor, abhor idols do you rob temples verse 23 you who boast in 
in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. And then he says this at the end. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. He's talking about people who are, are, are claiming to be believers there, but they're not. They're, they're living in a way that's, that's dishonoring to, to the Lord. We who know the Lord should live lives or try our best to live lives that speak well of him. And we don't want to do things that purposeful that bring him dishonor and, and bring down his glory or cause reproach upon his name. Um, that's why First Peter chapter 1, verse 16, what does Peter say? Be holy, what? For I am holy, right? That's, that's, the, that's the, the standard. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, Paul is saying, whether I'm there or not, it's irrelevant. I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So it goes back to their, their living a life that is honoring to the Lord. And he continues in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 16, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And then he says in verse 14, do all things, everything without grumbling, without disputing, that you may be what? Blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. You know, and that's, and that's what you have to think about when you're living your life each and every day. Um, what does your life say about him? What does your life say about Christ? Paul said in Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ. That's a pretty big commitment. Or in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not I, yet what? Christ lives in me. In the life I live now, I live in the flesh. I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so it's very important that we should echo those words and and see to it that God's name is never um, reproached because of of our sinful behavior. And like I said, we're not perfect. So that's why we want to, you know, when we want to do everything we can to avoid sin at all costs. Unfortunately, we live in a sinful world, so we're going to be dealing with sin until he comes back or we go to him. But in the meantime, it's important to uh, avoid sin at all costs. So we saw the time of restoration, the time of reproach, and then lastly here in verses 26 to 31, the time of retaliation. Uh, finally, Samson gets it. Um, he Samson stands before the people, his enemy there, really a shell of the man that he's been previously. He's humiliated, he's humbled, and um, he's blind, he can't see. Yet, in his darkness, in his humiliation, in his, you could say, imprisonment at this point, what what does he do? He turns his heart toward the Lord. And sometimes that's what it takes for some people. They gotta be in that dark place. Uh, and what's he do? He prays for strength so that he can get vengeance against those who put out his eyes. His priorities are still somewhat out of order, I would say. But at least he's heading in the right direction. You know, um, Samson, 
has it in his heart to see the Philistines destroyed. And they're the enemies of God. So the, in that way, that's good. I think he's doing it maybe for the wrong motive, but just because in a, as a revengeful, vengeful act. But after all, um, I mean, that's why the Lord really raised him up, if you remember from the very beginning when he brought Samson on, on the, the stage. He, he wanted him to be God's man that destroyed the Philistines, that took him down. And there are times when, you know, we fall into sin. There are times that Samson fell into sin. And when we do, it's, it's easy to allow that sin to keep us from seeking God in prayer. I know a lot of Christians who, when they fall into a, a sinful behavior, they stop coming to church, they stop praying, they stop reading the Word, they stop fellowshipping. Why? Because they feel shamed and, they just, and the enemy uses that against them. And they forget who they are in Christ. I'm talking someone who's, who's legitimately a believer. And, um, you know, we need to remind those kind of people, hey, wait a minute, you know, that's why Christ died. He died for those sins. Um, You know, so we have to not allow that guilt. We should have conviction over our sin, but we shouldn't allow the guilt over our actions and depression and discouragement and all that stuff to come into our life from the enemy and keep us away from our relationship with the God who's willing to forgive us, who has forgiven us. Because he's the only hope, really, that we have for restoration. And so we must get to him. We must be honest with him about our sin. He already understands it. We must seek his forgiveness. And I think when, when we do, his word tells us very clearly that he hears us and he will forgive us our sins. Once again, 1 John 1, 9, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, you know, even the small group, there, there may be somebody listening to the, the message too as well, but there may be people who are harboring unconfessed, unforgiven sin in their lives. Uh, everyone around you may think that, oh, you're doing well spiritually, but you know what? As you look at your own heart, you know the truth. You know inside you're cold, you're distant, you're empty. Um, you know that it's not what it used to be with the Lord. You know that you have allowed sin for whatever reason. Um, life and other things you know, to come between you and the Lord. And that, that, that restoration will not come to pass until you come to him and, and you come with a heart of repentance and you're being honest about your condition. He already knows. You're not hiding anything from him. Um, and so the horrors that Samson suffered at the hands of the Philistines really caused him to, what? To examine his life. And God sometimes puts us in that kind of place in life, a very difficult place. He had time to think about all what he had done. He took the necessary steps and what? God accepted him. His, his bondage resulted in his freedom. His blindness caused him to see finally the light. And I think God forgave Samson and used him one more time. You know, he also forgave David for his grievous sins and used him again. Um, you know, he, forgave, he forgave Peter when he denied the Lord. And he used him in a powerful fashion. See, we have to realize as believers, our sin, our failure does not have to define us. Our fall or failure doesn't have to be all that people remember about your life. Um, Your sin doesn't have to have the last word, is the way to put it. We can come to God, we can be honest before Him, we reach up to Him, and He and His grace... uh, 
you know, wraps his loving arms around you, forgives you and restores you and can use you for his glory still. So we want to be uh, cognizant of the fact that, you know what, just because we fall, we falter, we sin, it doesn't mean everything's over. But Samson's desire, then we look at Samson's deed here in verses 26, 27, 29, 30. Um, Samson is still tied up. He asks a young man to help him find the pillars to the building because he's blind. And uh, ironically, the young man does this. Maybe he was just, you know, wow, this guy's so big, you know. He's probably amazed. This is the, the warrior Samson that's standing before him. And Samson calls on the Lord, and then he pushes against the pillars with all his might. Now remember, you know, this is a, probably a step of faith on his point. Um, but what happens? The pillars come down. And so does the house. So does the temple. This is probably where they're at. They're in this, this Dagon temple. And the place was filled with Philistines. And they're watching Samson push against the pillars. And what are they doing? They're probably laughing at him. Oh, he thinks he's still strong. Look at this idiot as he calls upon his God for help. I mean, they, they, they mock him. They think it's a big joke. They're not worried about him, or they would have ran out of the place. This is a has-been. He's washed up. He's a nobody. He's really a, a fool in their eyes, and he deserves nothing but their laughter and their ridicule. And Samson prays, and then he pushes, and guess what? The Lord, graciously, what's he do? He answers his prayer. He answers his prayer. And the temple of Dagon comes crashing down, and it kills 3,000 of the Philistines. Now, Samson dies as well, unfortunately, <laughs> But in his death, it says he kills more of the enemy than he had killed in his entire life. If you do the numbers, that's true. 1,030 Philistines died at Samson's hand during his life. And the whole point here is not to glorify Samson. The whole point here is that God used Samson once again. It's the faithfulness of God. He used Samson to strike a terrible blow against the enemies of the Lord, who were mocking God openly. And you know what? He can use us as well. Uh, when there's repentance, when there's forgiveness, when there's restoration, the Lord can use you again for his glory. It may not be in the same vein it was before, a moral failure. I mean, there's some pastors who, you know, pastor mega churches, and then they, they have a moral failure, and they end up doing a different kind of ministry because they're no longer qualified to pastor a church. You know, that's fine. I mean, it's unfortunate, but it's fine. There's a lot of different, different things. It doesn't mean that God just relegates you to you know, the ash heap of history and never will ever use you again for anything. And yet, a lot of times when those men do get involved in some form of ministry, it may not be the same ministry they had before pastoring a church or whatever. Maybe they're just helping out in a Sunday school class or whatever. Um, but God continues to use their great knowledge of the word and the wealth of information they've acquired over their lifetime. And a lot of times they end up being a lot more humble than they were before. Because before they had it all. And, um, you know, God, God uses those hard times. Well, unfortunately, we come to verse 31 and we see Samson's death. This mighty judge of Israel is dead. He, uh, I was reading one article, and they said, well, I wonder if he committed suicide. Is that what he did? No, he didn't commit suicide. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was exacting revenge on the enemies of God, and he was willing to sacrifice his own life uh, even as he did that. Uh, so his brothers, and it says his other men of his family came to Gaza, and they dig through the rubble. They find the, the broken, the battered body of 
Samson, this man of God, they take him home and they honor him by giving him a proper barrier, burial. That, that was so important in that day, in that culture. Uh, it was just a very important process after someone died that you had the proper burial for them. And uh, now chances are probably that sin in our lives won't lead to the same set of events as, as Samson's life. But you know what? Chances are that you will fall sooner or later. Um, and you will have to seek the Lord in repentance. And guess what? God will forgive you. He will restore you and, and your usefulness. And so um, you probably won't necessarily die like Samson did, carrying out his will for his life, uh, for God's will for his life. But the chances are good that, that God will still use you that he will bless you, that he will carry you home to glory in the usual manner. And like Samson, however, um, you can receive glory at the end of the way uh, if you serve the Lord faithfully. If you don't allow that to happen while you're here. That's what we long for, right? Matthew 25, 21. We want to hear that well done, right? Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord or the salvation. Um, you long for those words that, that day when you enter glory. Um, unfortunately, many will not hear Jesus say that because they are refusing to deal with their sin. They never repent. They never seek his forgiveness or his restoration. Uh, there are some even in the family of the Lord who fail him. And they do so in spectacular fashion. And many of those people come back to the Lord humbling themselves. They confess their sin and, and they're forgiven and they're restored to some extent. And when they stand before the Lord, um, they will hear no mention of that, that sinful behavior. Why? Because they're gone. God doesn't hold that over us. They will hear. Even if you've fallen and you've been restored, well done. And uh, they will, they, there will be honor at the end of the way for the saints who keep short accounts with him um, and so that's why it's, it's important when we do fail when we do sin keep those quick uh, turnaround times you know don't don't allow your sin to linger and you know you feel the shame and you feel the conviction and it goes on for weeks and weeks pretty soon you get depressed and then finally you go back to the lord and you confess it and it's over i mean don't do that uh, and that's one thing we've seen is we've looked at these judges you know, in the terms that they've served and stuff, time and time again, it, you know, boy, the people of Israel didn't walk with the Lord for 20 years. Then finally, after 20 years of living in captivity or something, then finally they repent. And then God brings them up a judge and he delivers them and they have prosperity for 20 years. And then they fall back into the same thing and they wait and they wait and they wait. You know, that's why it's always good. You know, the Bible says, hey, if someone offends you, what, do you, what are you supposed to do? Go to that person and talk to them. Just simply explain it to them. More than likely, they're going to go, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I offended you that way. And you move on. But when you, when you do it through a text or you do it through you know, an email and then people start reading between the lines, it's like, well, I wonder what he meant by this. I don't know. And they start thinking about it. And it's, it's just chaos. You know, the Bible says go to them personally. Don't do it through a text. Don't do it even through a phone call if you can. Do it in person. Then you can see their facial expressions when they're talking to you and all that. It's so important uh, that we, we keep those short, short accounts um, because, you know, if, 
we have to be reminded if we don't do those things, if we don't especially keep short accounts with the Lord, um, he will touch our lives through discipline, through chastisement. Um, Revelation 3.19 says, those whom I love, I will reprove. I will discipline. Um, so be zealous in what? Repent. You know, if you don't do that, if you're not, if you're not quick to come to the Lord, he's going to have to make you come to him. <laughs> you know, he's going to create a situation in your life where you feel the disciplining hand of God upon you. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 to 11, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And this is a, a, I always, people forget this, but sometimes people will say, well, how do you know if someone's a Christian if, if they're not living for the Lord? You know, they're saying they're a Christian, but they're just living in the world. I always go to this verse because it says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And if they're truly a believer, is, is God's hand of discipline, God's hand of chastisement in their, in their life? Or are they just getting away with it? Uh, you can tell pretty quick. And he says, and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Well, today we can say there's a lot, right? But, but back in the day, there wasn't. I mean, that would just be unheard of. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And that's the problem, I believe, with the modern-day church, we have a lot of illegitimate children of God walking around thinking they're children, but they're not. Verse 9, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant amen but latter but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it and so you know we have to realize that you know in our own in our own lives if we're gonna be flirtatious with sin and and do those things we're just begging god to exact discipline in our life and he will if we're truly his so a couple things here from from the conclusion of Samson's life. Um, first of all, sin carries a devastatingly high price. I mean, I don't think anybody could read this story and say, oh, no, sin's fun. It's, there's no cost at all involved. There's no consequences. I mean, the consequences are grave. And when we engage in sin, we, we have to be prepared to pay the consequences. Because there will be consequences in our lives, in the lives of our families, in the lives of our church, of, in our community in the eyes of the world even, um, you know, all those are going to be consequences played out. Uh, the other lesson here is sin does not have to rule in your life as a Christian. It doesn't have to. There's a place for repentance. There's a place for forgiveness. There's a place for restoration. There's a God in heaven who, who you know what, loves you in spite of your sin. I mean, I find great comfort in that. I find comfort that God will cleanse us, that God will forgive us, that God will restore us when we come to him with a humble heart and a, and a repent, repentful heart. Um, and so you have to ask yourself the question, where, where are you at with your walk with him? You know, first of all, are you saved? If you're saved, are you close as you should be with the Lord? Or, or should you be closer? Uh, are you as close as you used to be? 
That's a good question to ask yourself monthly. Am I closer to the Lord this month than I was last month? Um, are you facing a time of testing, maybe through temptation in your own life? Has God spoken these truths to your heart? You know, now's the time to, to come to him and to be, be honest with it and just say, Lord, you know, here I am. I, I need forgiveness. I need restoration. I need your assistance in my life. And I think as we look at the life of, of Samson, we see clearly that, that God uh, isn't just done with us because we mess up. God does still and can use us for his glory by his grace. Uh, let's close in a word of prayer and then we'll have some fellowship. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I do pray that tonight as we examine, have examined the life of Samson and such a man with such great opportunity, yet he squandered so much of it. Um, and yet, Lord, you still, in the end, heard his prayer and, and enabled him to, to do, in his own mind, what he thought you called him to do initially. And, um, Father, we thank you for the life of Samson. Thank you for the example that he was to us and remains even to this day. And, and Father, that uh, somehow that we can look at his life and relate that, um, you know, sin is not, our lives are not untouched by sin and no 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 means lord and we are all probably tempted in various ways and so lord we just pray that we would be faithful to the call that you put on our life that we would live lives the best of our ability through the power of your spirit um, to live lives that are honoring to you and lord when we do fail when we do fall lord i pray that we would come to you quickly and acknowledge uh, your forgiveness acknowledge the, the price that christ paid for our sin and that we are a new creation in Christ, and we don't have to listen to the enemy um, cause us to uh, feel so shamed that we stop going to church or stop fellowshipping or stop reading the Word or stop praying. And that's his goal, to, to kind of neuter us as believers. But Lord, we know that we are um, uh, new creatures in Christ. And Father, we just uh, thank you for your forgiveness. And Lord, we pray tonight that you would just... Uh, Take us safely to our homes and pray that this, these truths would resonate in our hearts even as we leave this place. We thank you and we praise you. And we pray for our company too, or our country too, Lord, that you would continue to uh, just lead, uh, that your plan would be carried out, Lord. We don't know what's going on, really. It seems so chaotic and so wrong in so many different ways. But, but Father, we do pray. Um, for our leaders, we pray that you would uh, overrule their chaotic decisions. And Lord, um, that you would um, cause our, our country to turn to you in this time of need. And Lord, that Christians especially would begin to pray like they never prayed before for our country and for people to come to know Christ. And Father, that we'd be faithful to the call that you put on our, our lives. And we just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.